Welcome all to another edition of A Positive Podcast, where we work to enhance our lives by exposing the tools that we already have inside of us. My podcasts are designed to be short inspirations that will take these proven methodologies of positive psychology and give you examples and deeper insight on how to practically apply them in your own life. In other of my podcasts, I've shared some tips and tools today, as I will do on occasion. I interview someone who can share wisdom and life experience that essentially do the same thing, teach us that we have the answers inside ourselves. So with that, let's begin episode number 12, a conversation with Chaim Benun. Um, instead of reading your bio, um, Chaim, if that's okay if I call you that, tell us a yeah. little bit about yourself and what it is that you do and so that people can have an understanding of what it is that you do. Okay, so um, I work with um, individuals, couples, and uh, parents on a wide range of issues. Um, parents, it's usually a, a struggling uh, child, usually in, in the early or late teens. And individuals, it's a, a variety of, of issues. Doesn't really, it's not specific to any subtype of uh, disorder or problem. Um, and uh, same goes with couples. But um, with with the trauma-informed and uh, family or systemic orientation. So we are, you know, you can't look at the person alone and it's, it's usually not the person alone who's uh, the cause of, you know, major contribution. It's usually the environment and uh, all things leading to it. Mm -hmm. So what would you say exact, just share with us your, your official title. Are you a social worker, a therapist? What is it that you, I'm what's your official? Okay. okay. Um, thanks for sharing that with us. That's helpful. Um, I met Chaim a few months ago at the Kesher Nafshi Shabbaton, which is a weekend retreat of support for parents of struggling children or teens and everything. They talk about everything from off the derech or the way I like to call it on their own path to mental health challenges, um, substance abuse, um, suicide, everything and anything. And, and I encourage people to consider attending this Shabbaton, this retreat, if it's relevant to your life. At the Shabbaton and, you know, in my encounters with people who have met Chaim, I found his outlook and approach to be very refreshing and authentic. And even though I haven't personally worked with you, I have sent a few clients your way and who have been very happy working with you as well. And so I have so many questions for you, and I'm hopeful that you will be able to be as honest as possible because I wanna ask some really incisive questions that will not only help me personally, but all those who listen to this podcast and call Yisrael. So we've spent the last number of podcasts interviewing different people who we talked extensively about mental health, um, family planning, HSPs, unconditional love, parenting styles, gentle parenting, unconditional parenting. And as, as such, because of these conversations, we've had even more conversations with people outside of the podcast discussing the pros and cons of these different parenting styles. And it's brought up even more questions. So before I begin, can you just share with me, if you said, what would you say is your general approach or your shita, how you would advise parents or you yourself to deal with children and teens who are struggling? Who are struggling? Obviously there isn't one size fits all for anything, but nevertheless, what can, can you share with us your specific general approach? Sure. Um, again, but the way I work, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a child who's on the derech or 
on their own journey, it's it's the same basic. It's it's to connect to the child on on a very deep and and uh, unique level. So it's to take time out individually. And it's not even two parents with one child. It's one parent, each parent with the child for some alone time where we uh, talk to listen and not listen to talk. So if we could get the ratio five to one is great, but if it's a, it should be three times to one, the child talking and us listening, uh, you know, we should be trying to, it's again, it's not for everything. If the child needs to know about going to school, going to, uh, you know, therapy or a shidduch or any life decision or any issue that they have to deal with, then that's a regular conversation. Of course, with listening uh, at, at a premium, but uh, on these connective moments, it's sort of like actually this week's parsha when Hashem asks, Adamayeka, so, you know, in the in the secular world, they're all astounded that God doesn't know where Avram is, uh, where Adamarishan is, and they're sort of flummoxed by that. Even the respectful commentators from the secular world, but Rashi, and and that's just shows the chasm in the world. Uh, Rashi says it's Lachnise Bedvarm. He wants to start a conversation, so we know Adamarishan did something wrong, and and it was a fiasco, and he was sent away from Gan Eden, but that's not how it started. It, that's how it ended. It started with a conversation, where are you? And that's that's sort of the model I take with any situation, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, that you start with asking the child where they are, and preferably before a, a issue arises. It's just, we should always do check-ins with our children, one-on-one, -on -one, each parent. It could be a grandparent or any caregiver, just checking in and listening, where are you? What are you thinking about? And you know, in today's world, and it's probably been like this forever, there's no shortage of, of challenges and interesting events that will be important to elicit the child's uh, opinions and views of, of what's going on without, you know, instructing them how to think or what to do or how you feel about it or the same thing happened to you. All those things should be avoided at any cost. It's all about the child that in, during these, you know, intimate moments, building a uh, that relationship as strong as possible. Yeah. I love what you said there. Talk to listen, not listen to talk. That's just, that's such a great line. I just lots to think what you just, you gave so many great points there. Ayaka, that's a, that's a great message as well. And uh, most of the time, like you said, it's where the child's at first that we have to figure out and then move from there. Like we're, and, and so many of us parents are not really, even though we're so close to our children are not really aware of where our children are at. Some kids, some teens don't really talk and don't share. Some talk a lot, but even so don't really share what's really going on. And that's, that's a challenge to figure out how to get your child to, to talk. Um, well, I, I think that's, I mean, I think there's a story with the Besalebi. There was a, uh, a girl, this is 150 years ago, but there was a girl who was a selective mute, young girl. And um, they brought her to the Besalebi and uh, she started talking and they asked him, well, what did you do? And he said, I, I just listened. So that was the first time anybody ever listened. Wow. People were telling her, talk, you have to talk, you should talk. You know, look at this, what is that? No, he just listened. But whether it's it's a real story or not, that's that's my philosophy. If, if, if you listen, they will talk. And it, it might not be, you know, again, everything is, every journey begins with one step, as cliche as it is, it's true. I mean, a lot of times parents say, oh, they'll never go for that. They'll never talk, they'll never talk. They don't wanna, they wanna to talk to their friends. You know, 
friends are great and friends have a lot to offer children and and you know in the um, stage of where they are at adolescence usually when the problems begin um they their peer groups take a lot of prominence unfortunately sometimes sometimes fortunately but it's all the parents always have a place and if if you will listen you have a lot more than most of the kids because kids don't really listen to each other stereotypically speaking they're all trying to cram in i mean if you look at social media you could see everybody's posting about me me nobody's posting about what their friends you know mm. you know uh, in a uh, collaborative way so if if we take that approach we do have an edge on on the friends and again it has to be without an agenda sometimes you know kids can see it coming uh, a mile away oh they're trying to be macabre me they're trying to get me to go to this school they're trying to get me to do better in school that that if that's necessary, that could come later. But this is about the the genuine relationship. Yeah. Yep. That's 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 very true. Um, another question I have for you. So, there's a major school of thought currently within the from world that talks about unconditional love and acceptance, and even more unconditional pride. We hear many. Um, Rabban, I'm talking about our teachers, um, therapists, and we all know that keeping our child connected to us, regardless of the cost, it almost comes off without any boundaries and just to completely love on them. And in principle, I agree with this, and I can see how connection can really change things for a child. And at the same time, I see how parenting a child in this manner can have negative effects on other siblings that can in turn cause them trauma which in turn requires, it's kind of like a cycle, which um, requires these children begin to struggle. And I don't know what is causing what, and I'm not sure that I'm an expert to really weigh in on this, but this is what I'm noticing. And, you know, I, I even heard a story, you know, I've heard the story a few times. I'm not even sure which Rob it was with, who's, you know, parents came to him with, for asking for advice about their child who was, you know, on their own derech. And they said, maybe we should send this child away. And the Rub said, no, send because it's having a negative influence on the other children. And the Rav said, no, keep this child at home and send the other children away. Mm -hmm. um, this child needs you the most. And it, that story, although very powerful, also didn't sit well with me because all of the children need undivided love. All of our children um, deserve our attention, not just right. the ones that are struggling. And yes, okay, fine. So the, the oily, you know, squeaky, the squeaky wheel needs, gets the most oil, fine. Yes, we all know this, but... I feel that you know it's it's a challenge to find that balance. What what do you say to all of this? Okay, so that's that's a, that's a multi-level question. So, if, by definition, by the fact that 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 story was mentioned, that that's sort of a proof the other way around, actually, because that would be common practice if if that was exactly a a rule of thumb that send away the kids that are making it so we can deal with the struggling child. Um, you know, there may be times where that's necessary, um, but I, I don't think that's that's the exception to the rule. In a sense, I'm not saying to send away the kid who's, who's struggling. That's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that that's that's an extreme case. And there are such stories and it all depends on the times. Like people in many schools of thought are always saying that today's children are weaker or the generation is weaker. I don't see any scientific evidence for that. I wouldn't know how to measure that. Um, but if that was, let's say it is true because I, you know, it's quoted a lot, we would first have to find out why that is. And that may be, you know, like 
you know, Jonathan Haidt wrote a book, The Coddling of the American, you know, Mind, or America, and that's because he contends, amongst and many others do, that it, it is the uh, parenting or schooling mechanisms of shielding and sheltering and coddling children that causes them weakness. And again, that's a very, very broad topic. So I'm not, I'm not saying anything against anybody or anything specifically. I'm saying there, there's a, that's a obligation to understand why children today are weaker if that were true. Now, if that is also true, then we can't send away those children because those children too are weaker. It's not only the struggling children are weaker. Actually, I think the struggling children are more empowered than they ever were because you just look around in the street and that's not even Jewish children, it's any children. What, what they are able and enabled to do by social media and other means and just the way the world is today, they, they have a lot, plenty of access and plenty of, you know, abilities and, and support, whether it's on the street or, or otherwise. So, you know, sending away the quote unquote non-problem children, how do we know that's gonna work these days if, if, if everybody's so weak? So I, I try not to take anything like, you know, you have to apply each case very, very discreetly and very, very uniquely, very specifically. So the first thing is that when, when we say unconditional love, you know, that's that's a, a catchphrase. And to me, what it means is a love that comes by nature. So the love for a spouse, the love for a friend is is not unconditional because it evolved through a means to an end, whether it's marriage, children, um, family, whether the person appeals to us and therefore they're our friend. We don't have, we're not friends with every person we meet because we have criteria. Um, our children, not so much. Those, they're given to us they're, they're, and that's our task and that's our, you know, obligation to, to um, nurture them and, and get them through childhood and into adulthood unconditionally, meaning regardless of what they, th you can't say, God, I didn't want a child with this disability or with this issue. Uh, that's that's what, and that's how I define unconditionally. It's not a different flavor of love. It's just the source of the love. Um, right. But it's also important to understand, and this is, again, a very broad topic, and it, it would take hours to explain, but the, the Chavis al-Vavis, right, says that the love of parent to child, he actually says it's it's exact opposite. It's not even unconditional love. He says it's love of self. We love the child because he or she is a part of us. So we're lo really loving ourselves mm -hmm. and it's a selfish love. And he says, even though it's the most selfish love, we still are obligated to respect and, and have uh, a karsotype to our parents, despite the fact that they may be doing it for their own selfish needs or, or reasons. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that's where it stops. That's the source of, that's the basic, the baseline of uh, parental love, according to the Chayvisal loves. But we, we have to then take it to, a love of the child, you know, it should be a um, And and again, you know, the way I define love is a really a real desire to know the person. You know, that's how. You know, both in the Jewish world and in in, in the philosophy, love, love is to 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 really know the other person on, on the most uh, intimate level possible, according to that relationship. Um, now, as far as boundaries. Now, if, if there are no boundaries, we, um, and again, some people think boundaries is a dirty word. And again, 
but just so we can use a different term without having a cheshbon in what we're doing. No, we, no, let, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you sure. for a second, because I think that's a great, um, that's a great point, boundaries, because I don't think boundaries are a dirty word. I actually think that, you know, boundaries are a very important thing in any relationship. Sure. Um, knowing your own boundaries is, is an important piece. Um, I know the system of AA, you know, thrives on boundaries, talks about codependency. It's very much interconnected with right. boundaries and not being codependent. Um, it helps us. It helps our family members who are, who are dealing with a struggling child or sibling or, uh, or even an addict or not. And I think that that's an, an important component. I, I know that there's a very um, prominent parenting thought. I'm not going to name any names right here that, that say that when we're dealing with children that are struggling, we're supposed to love bomb them, give and give and give and do these extreme things like allowing them to bring, you know, their non-Jewish uh, boyfriend or girlfriend to live into your home. You know, some even discuss doing drugs with this child or smoking with them. And the idea is, is that because it's pikuach nefesh, um, you have to do everything you can to save the child. And that, and that idea resonates with me with the idea of pikuach nefesh. But if chas v'shalom, you're in such a situation and you know, you have, there are side effects of that. There, there are other people in the family that right. are going to, I don't want to say, you know, struggle because of it, but I, oh, I they will. there's no reason to say they're not. I mean, I don't know how that's going to be, how anybody could say that, that, that if, if what you described is going on, <laughs> then how, how can it not impact the other children um, or even the parents? So yes, let's, let's stop. Yes. So again, it, Boundaries or or guidelines or or limits are definitely important. Now, you know, there's an author and a doctor from Canada, Gabor Mate. He's not exactly a, a conservative figure. Yes. He's he's into the um, harm reduction. He's into, you know, if you read his work or watch his his his, his TED talks or other interviews, he's extremely trauma informed and very pro the um, victim, addict, etc. However, he refers to them. However, if anybody who's thinking about such approaches where there are no limits or boundaries to themselves should read this book by Gabor Mate called um, When the Body Says No. And what he contends in that book is that somebody who does, a caregiver who gives all without any boundaries is, is prone to, uh, to, to illness, to breakdown, and to he goes as far as to say cancers and AOS are a result of such relationships. And he wow. cites Lou Gehrig and others. Uh, there's dozens of case studies. Again, I'm not saying that's the final authority on, and if you do that, something bad is gonna happen, God forbid. But I'm just saying anybody who, who is interested should read that book or skim through it. It's, it's a rather mm -hmm. clear message repeated throughout. And that's the thing, when the body says no, then we should stop. So the body does say no many times. Um, now, the way my approach is, is, is a little different. And, and I, I start with when people come to me, if it's a couple about their children, child or children, I, I will start with the individual to strengthen their emuna, their sense of self. A lot of times there's a lot of shame involved and shame is, is, is toxic and corrosive. They feel it's their fault. They feel they're being judged by their neighbors, by their friends, by their family. And, and that's the beginning of the work is to take pride in the self because what our children do is not really indicative of us, you know, unless it is, and then we got to fix that right away and, and be done with that part of it. But usually it's not 
what the parents do. And if the parents made mistakes, then that's great. Because if a parent never made a mistake, they'd be the worst parent ever. Because that child will encounter other people in the world, their friends, their spouses, their, their own children who will make mistakes and they will not be equipped to deal with the fragility of life. If everything is perfect, if parenting is coddling and making everything perfect and eliminating all the bumps in the road, then that child will not be prepared for life. So by the fact that we make our mistakes, that's great. Um, you know, if we look at the history of the world, you know, the first child who, who did the wrong thing was other Mauritians. So Hashem must have messed up real bad and he's probably very ashamed of himself. Um, mm -hmm. After that, we have, you know, uh, Noyach had Chom and Avram had Yishmael and Yitzchak had Yesav. And Mitzrayim wasn't too great. The Midbar wasn't too great. Again, of course, I'm not disparaging anybody at, at, in Chazal or in the, in the Chumash. I'm just saying, read it and it's quite clear things didn't go as planned. And um, if you look through Navi, whether Yeshua, Shaiftim, Shmuel, it's full of children not doing what they should or what their parents expected them to. Um, and it seems to be that that's not the exception, that's the rule. That's how it was, and that's how it will be, and that's part of the, the struggle of life. I, I, you know, I'm not sure why necessarily, but that's a, another discussion. It's, there is a higher plan than what we decided for our children, and, and our children are not meant to be nachas machines. They could be one day that way, but that's not our approach to them. It's, it's a duty, and, and we have to fill it and rise to the occasion whatever it is. Um, so once the parents are, are, are then settled within themselves and the relationship, a lot of times there are, are it could be marital issues either prior or because of the situation because one parent wants one way or there's blame or it's your family did this or there's, you have, you, have a, you have somebody on your side like this, it must be coming from you. All that stuff, once we get that out of the way, the parents are ready to engage fully, be fully present and um, they're not worried about the shame or the repercussions of the situation, they're ready to deal with it. But the next step is where I try to, unless it's like obviously like a, a child's, you know, doing stuff that, that can end their life or cause major harm to themselves or others, the first step would be to strengthen the family unit that's willing and able to participate. So many times you, you can have five, six, seven kids and, and six, are doing great or we think they're doing great so and they're willing and they want our time and they want to connect to us so let's start connecting with all of them have a harmonious home get over certain hang-ups um you know the Arab shabbos monster should be tamed um other stuff that takes us away from ourselves and our children and our families should be conquered and then we try to welcome the other child into a calm accepting loving home where everybody's happy, why wouldn't the child want to do that? And on many occasions we've had, I've had work with, with parents whose child all over the place, out of state, they, they, they're, they're never home because for whatever reason. And then once they take a step back and say, you know what, this probably isn't working for the other children as well. There's too much stress, too many demands, too much uh, of our agenda and less listening and, and, and collaborating. And then the child miraculously decides, hey, this is not so bad. Why would I want to sleep on my friend's couch or floor when I can sleep in my beautiful bed in a calm home where, where stuff's going on that, that's interesting to everybody? So that's that's where I start. You know, where to finish it. If there's certain cases, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting kids um, things on occasion. Um, and again, this there may be extreme cases where more is necessary, but that would be a, a pretty 
individual situation that would have to be assessed. Have you ever seen that that love bombing somebody that just, you know, getting them from whatever they want has actually healed a child? Like this is the part that's so, you know, fascinating to me. Like how does that even work? Okay. So that I, you know, that's a that's an I, I know the phrase. So um okay. So look, there are times where giving children gifts may be the the key that opens the first door. But that's so to speak, like it's like, you know, sometimes office buildings have the front door where you need a pass to get into the building, and then you gotta get to your office. If you only bring the key to the building, you're not getting into the office because that's so I think that so that could be used maybe to to grease the wheels or okay. to show that you're committed to change. Like a lot of times, um, you know, there are different cases. Sometimes the children are, are just starting off and you see they, them all of a sudden, you don't know where those genes popped up. Not that genes is the end of the world, but it's a change, deliberate change. Like why is the child deliberately changing? So, you know, that requires attention and, and a good conversation. I don't think you should buy 20 pairs of genes just in case, you know, to show them that you're really okay with the genes. You, you can actually tell them that, um, um, that you're okay and that certain things are their choices. We, we should give our children choices age appropriate, you know, um, but to, to necessarily write, a, but let's say there's been a history, the child has chosen a different way of, of being in the world or they're not chosen. They totally left the world of the living and are living in a, in a haze of, of substances or, or out of control behaviors. And there's been many fights and exchanges that we're not proud of. Right. Then maybe to show that there's a new sheriff in town and things are different. Okay. Maybe. And you, right. That's kind of shift. But let me ask you a question. Where does, where does boundaries, how does boundaries look according, like in your point of view for somebody who's, who's living that way, the way you just described, what, what do healthy boundaries look like? Healthy boundaries look like that I, I count just as much as you do, um, and I do. Like I, I don't want to raise a child thinking that I'm worthless. Then, then what? What's his goal in life? To raise children so he could be worthless, and then the next generation? No, I count. I have feelings too. Again, if there's a traumatic situation going on, that's not the the lesson to be learned. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times parents are are very keen on on. They think parenting means teaching lessons. And that, that, that is a component, you know, but it's, it's, chinuch doesn't mean lessons, chinuch means to prepare. So you have to prepare the child for, for the world and for the family. And you lead by example. Now you could be respectful of yourself and, and help out a child. Um, if, if, you know, if, if you teach a child that they're every whim, Look, you know, we say we have in Chazal, Yeshle Mona rates the Messiah. If you have 100, you want 200 more. You don't just want 100 more, you want 200 more. Nobody is ever uh, satisfied unless they do tremendous work on themselves. Um, what I've seen is the more you give, if, there's, if it doesn't come with some sort of uh, explanation, is not the right word, but with some sort of pattern or some sort of forethought, it gets taken for granted. And then in, in psychology, there's the concept of the hedonic treadmill. It's impossible yeah. to keep up. You're not going to keep up. You're going to spend, what, what are you going to do? You give your kid a TV, let's say. You're going to give them a car. Now what? Plane? 
a train, an automobile. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the automobile was the car. But yes. And again, what what what's left for the other children? And and again, the the other children will feel at some point that they will feel robbed or cheated or left out. And again, uh, my contention is that just because a child is 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 out all night and, and using drugs or hanging out with the wrong crowd. That's not the only indicator of somebody suffering. There are many kids in yeshiva. I work with a lot of black and white kids who are suffering tremendously to the same degree, if not more, than those who are you know, on the street with the girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever it is, and, and living the, the street life. There are guys in mainstream yeshivas, top yeshivas, who are suffering with tremendous, tremendous uh, mental even physical anguish due to their life experience or, or, or their composition or their life experiences. And I think just assume because the child is, is acting out there in pain and everybody else is not, mm. that, that, that's, that could be a tremendous mistake. And, and again, we have to understand that if it's an older child, he may have hurt a younger child or she may have hurt, and I'm talking in any way, physical, mm-hmm. mental, and others, or maybe a great sense of embarrassment. Now, again, we have to educate all our children to not be so dependent on what other things, others think of us, but we are all naturally wired to think about what other people think about us. And, and there is a growth process, but to say that all of a sudden, nobody else's feelings count and everything's about one child. I, I don't know, like, again, I don't know uh-huh. how that works. Right. You, you know. You, so what I'm hearing you say is, is that, and tell me if this is correct, is that boundaries are that it's not only about the struggling child, it's about the whole family, the whole dynamic in the family and trying to meet each of our needs. Our parents have needs, the children have needs and, and kind of sharing that with our children is an important lesson for life that we all matter. It's not just one person's feelings that matter. We all matter. We all need to be taken care of. And, and I've heard the example, well, this child, you know, if your child had cancer and you were taking them to chemotherapy, yeah, everyone else matters, but right now this is the main priority. Um, I've heard that argument, and what okay. what what's? And, I love that tr- argument. I mean, we can take that argument. So, unfortunately, we all know people who have gone through the, the cancer struggles and men, uh, physical struggles. Let's so we'll do physical, cancer or not. If I have a doctor's appointment, I can't tell my doctor meet me on 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 Route ninety five at twelve midnight. He's not coming, the doctor. I have to be at the appointment. I'm going to wait in that waiting room like a mensch. And if I don't, I'm going to be escorted out of the building. I'm going to have to take some really painful medications. And I'm going to have to follow a regimen. If I tell the doctor I'm going to see you every other Tuesday and I'm going to take only the medicines I want, the doctor will disown me very quickly because his reputation will be on the line. If I decide I want to take all the chemo in one shot instead of waiting and doing it the right way, I will not be here. And the doctor will not go along with that. So there are there is a regimen and extreme boundaries when it comes to medical stuff, and and the truth is mental health is the same because we we need to impart the fact that yes you have a problem or problems, but there is a way to go about getting what you need, and, and we're going to be very generous and very benevolent in in our approach with you, but it that doesn't necessarily give you control over the house or everything that goes on. Right. I mean, again, so it's with, I understand that trauma and developmental trauma is, is very complex and it changes the brain and all that. But, but 
they're, they're, you know, whether it's it's Bessel van der Kolk or, or Peter Levine or Judith Lewis Herman, there are all boundaries and, and it's systems and, you know, steps in the in the recovery process that have to be adhered to. If it's just going to be to, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I would like to know the timeline of this recovery and, and what I'm doing and what it's actually evoking in the child, or maybe it's not a child, maybe it's an adult. Like right. things have to be done with a husband and, and thinking that considering everybody else, because there's no way to know what everybody else in the family is going to going through. Let me let me just t take that as a as like a last question here. What would you say to advice to par advise parents who have other siblings that are, you know, dealing with a sibling that's struggling, or you know, if it's a whatever it is in their life that the other child, the siblings. What advice would you give the parents of? siblings of struggling teens, what, what would you say to them? Okay, so that's great because that brings things in a full circle. I would start with a conversation and we're gonna listen to them and then talk to listen, not tell them how they should feel about it or what's at stake for the other child. That's the end of the conversation maybe. But the beginning is what, what's going on. Ayeka, where are you with this? If you have a child who's, who's um, say, hanging out with 15 kids on your front lawn, if that's what's happening, how does the child feel about that? If, you, if the kid's screeching in on a car at three in the morning, blasting music and waking the child up, what does that mean to that child? It may be pikoch nefesh, that's fine. But if the kid's 10, he's too young for that. That, that doesn't mean anything to them. They need to be felt safe and, and validated and understood and heard and they count. And it, let's say something has gone on that shouldn't have gone on. They, they're not gonna say, the child who's struggling is meant to be the, the, the king of the home or, or getting all the attention or that's the focus. The child will not speak up if there's things that shouldn't, if they're seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing or, or having things happen that shouldn't be happening. How are they gonna speak up if, if, if they're not heard? But if, if they're listened to, if they're approached with respect, and, and that we really care about how this is impacting you and we, we wanna hear about it. We wanna hear what you think should go on without reading questions, uh, just letting the child express themselves. Um, the, these kids have a lot to say. I've sat, sat with many of them and, and, and it's a tremendous burden to them because either they feel that the child's gonna die, the, the struggling one, or they feel they're gonna run away or they feel, and that's extreme pressure for these children. Um, but on many occasions, they feel something that may be even more detrimental. They feel responsibility to emulate, say, the parents who are running after the child, or it's on them to save the child. And I, it, it, there's no way they don't have the tools, and it makes no difference. And and sometimes what what they what is the impression being given is that what's going to save the other child is to start emulating them or joining them, and that's not helping. What I usually try to tell these children is the best way you can help your child, your, your parents. And, and maybe even the struggling child is to be serene in your own life, to be accomplished, to do your best. You don't have to be a part of the recovery team over here. Like obviously, I'm not trying to promote selfishness. I'm promoting selfness. There has to be some yeah. self. You belong and you're important, even if you don't have a big problem. You you need to achieve, you need to do well in yeshiva or school or wherever it is. Enjoy your camp, bring nachas to your parents 
and, and show that you're doing well, you're moving on with your life and, 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 and excelling. And that gives your parents the energy and the wherewithal to deal with the, with, with the child who needs some extra help. But that also can, you know, also backfire, perhaps I'm just thinking aloud here, that they may feel pressured that like, oh, I have to fill that void. I have to be the nachas now that my other siblings oh, are not. Okay. I, I have to be, I have to really work extra hard to make my parents happy. Oh, no, no. Okay. So that is a pitfall that a lot of the children um, in, in, in any situation, even with a sick child, uh, a physically sick child, um, yes. the, uh, the children want to be the nachas machines. And again, if it's in the conversation, we tell them that by you going on with your life and focusing on yourself, that is what's going to bring your parents the greatest joy that they see you are leading your life. You're not, this is not weighing you down. This is not on you. Don't hold, hold off uh, you know, going to camp, don't hold off going out with friends, don't hold off on doing well in school and accepting honors, don't hold off on your life, don't put your life on hold. And I've heard extreme, extreme stuff, what, what siblings have thought they should do to help their, their struggling siblings, uh, and, and it just ends up causing them, the children, these children misery and their parents even more misery because then it, it just spreads that way. Um, yeah, I can imagine. I'm just thinking of the word that you say. I, I know that I want to keep an honor of your time. The word nachas, it's starting to sound to me like a curse word. <laughs> I feel like this, you know, everyone, we always say Yiddish nachas, you should have Yiddish nachas, Yiddish nachas. And it's like starting to really create this idea that parents think that this is going to happen. It's going to happen easily. It's just going to happen naturally. And then it really doesn't happen. And if it does, when it does happen, of course, it's later on in life, you know, the idea of nachas. But I'm wondering if that whole idea is really setting us up for failure. Well, I mean, again, nachas may be serenity in English. I don't know, but that's how I look at it. Is And again, I, I went through the parsha with, with, with my son. And, and he's pretty open about it, but I'm rather not go into any details without him being here. But people used to say, oh, you'll have nachas. You know, I have a son who finished Shas a few times and they say, oh, you'll have nachas from him too. And I said, I'm having nachas right now um, because right. we got to a level in our relationship where I understood him and I understood what he was going through or to my abilities, not obviously I didn't understand or feel what he was going through, but he, he was doing the best he could at the time. And, and that was a nachas. My nachas wasn't contingent on him, say, finishing a masechta or davening right. or learning. It, it was on him being present enough to, to go through whatever it is. And, and, you know, sometimes just waking up in the morning is a Herculean effort. And, yeah. but, you know, if nachas is what you define, and some people nachas is a PhD and some people it's a doctor and some people it's shas and some people it's, that uh, the best shidduch and some people it's it's wealth and then that's not necessarily God's nachas you know because he doesn't give us all that uh, you know there's a great um, expression from Eric Hoffer he says if you want what you have then you have what you want and um, the same thing goes for nachas if if you take pride in in your children and in yourself for for just doing the best in your circumstances then you know. If you can't change it, then you, then you accept it, which, you know, is, is a model of the 12 steps, you know, yeah. the serenity to, you know, to you know, you accept what you can't change. You, you try to change what you can and, you know, the difference between them. But, you know, you also take pride in them, you know. Um, the expectation piece over there, that that's the big part is how we define office. And I, it, it so resonates what you said about 
parents, you know, saying that you'll have nachas one day. Yeah, we're having nachas right now because each step takes so much effort and so much of the process. That is a very true point that really resonates with me as well. So let me just finish off with a final, um, if you could share your final thoughts. Um, what would be your um, advice to any parent that is, you know, any child, young or old that's struggling, even small signs, not major struggling, small struggling, what words of encouragement or support and some guidance that would you share with them that they can start doing immediately that would really be beneficial for this child? So again, I, I would just take it a step further and, and have it overarching everything. And, and that is any child, all our children, is start connecting with them on a, on a very deep level to understand them. Again, it's not relinquishing power by trying to understand your child or asking what their thoughts are about a matter. A matter. Um, if, and it's not, you know, I have parents who are in Kylo or Rebbeim or even Rosh Hashivas and they'll talk, they'll ask their kid what happened on the Sunday football game. And, you know, you know, thankfully here in Baltimore, we had a great, some crazy thing happened in the game and everybody had what to talk about. So this week that worked great, but we could find things that are going on or in our own lives, you know, something goes wrong. Um, ask the child for what they want, what they think about it or about politics. We don't, have, you know, there's nothing wrong with arguing and having different, and I say arguing, I just mean a different of opinion, but there's nothing wrong with eliciting what the child is and, and just listening to them and finding out who they are. You know, the most complex masech that we're going to have is a, is, other people that we live with. So it's, it's study the child, become an expert in your child. It's just as important as Baba Basra. And learn your child be in, meaning whether they're struggling or not, get to know your child. What are they dreaming? What are they thinking? And again, it, they may not tell all on the first, what I call the first date, but just start the process going a few times, a few conversations without interrupting or without correcting or adjusting, oh, you can't have that. That's, you know, I have children who are interested in, in say, TikTok or social media or other things that we would consider nourish. By telling the kid that's nourish kite, that's, it may be true, but that's the end of the conversation. And the attitude is that every time I say anything, my parent is judging what I'm saying and judging me. And, and, then they don't open up. But if, if we just say, oh, wow, that, that is fascinating. What is fascinating about that character or that person or that object that you're fascinated with, find out what the fascination is. And, you know, you could kick the, the Musar or the Hadracha down the road a few few steps, a few, a few, a few conversations later, once the, the relationship develops. But again, it's not saying that develop a relationship that you listen and talk and is intimate with your child, so then you can give them Musa and it's more effective. That's not the point. The, the, the highest goal, the Kedusha Kedoshim of parenting is to connect to your child, to actually know your child, so they're comfortable with you and you're comfortable with them and just enjoying each other's company. The rest, may there may need to be some adjustments or things that are exchanged, but without that relationship, that's, that's the, the home base where they return to. Regardless if they leave the fold or regardless if they stay on the fold, they need a safe place where they can feel at home, you know, in the heart and in the mind and not just physically. And if yeah. we, that starts with conversation, with listening. Yeah. So I think my line that I'm taking from today's uh, interview is talk to listen and not listen to talk. 
And so yes. many of us do that all the time when we're listening, we're busy thinking what we're going to answer, what we're going to say back instead of really right. letting it land and letting us process it. We should try that, you know, and even after our child listens to us, perhaps taking time and saying, you know, I want to think about that. That was so interesting what you shared, how that makes you feel about when you see your sibling do A, B or C and how that's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to think about that and, you know, feel it a little bit. And then let's talk about this more later. Just letting them feel that you're really taking it in. So I want to, again, thank you, Chaim, for giving me and the, my listeners um, so much time and allowing me to ask these questions. And I'm wishing you continued success in all your work and your holy work. I know you're helping so many people. And may Hashem give you the kayach, the energy to, and strength to continue to help others. And um, if, my, if my listeners would like to um, be in touch with you, how can, what is the best way for them to reach you? Um, Chaimbenun at gmail.com. Um, how do you spell Chaimbenun, by the way? <laughs> Sell it out for us. C H A I M B I N N U N at gmail.com or 917 573 0232 is my phone. Right. And I'll add this onto the podcast link so that you can, in, in the um, promo part of the, of the podcast, so people can get in touch with you. And um, Thank you so much again, wishing you a good Shabbos and um, thanks for your time. Likewise, thank you for all you do. And uh, it's tremendous that uh, we're at a point in our history we can discuss these things openly and honestly and freely. And, and again, I may not have 100% on everything, but uh, this, is, this, this, this is not meant to end the conversation. It's meant to, to begin another conversation. Yes. That's what and this podcast is about. Yes, yes.